Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 301. Start all over again from the very beginning. Uh, joining us this week, a first-time GFOP, Valerie Lapata of BodyWise Pure Pilates, joins us to talk about the Be a Neighbor Fund, uh, how she's been connected to the community, uh, and she can finally explain to me what Pilates is because I am an out-of-shape man and I have no idea uh, what it actually is. I think I know what it is, but I could be wrong. Uh, also this week, we're going to talk about voting rights. We're going to talk about uh, Meta County voting registration. Uh, we're going to talk about King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, we're going to talk about finance, Little Nas X, uh, history lessons, a big section on food, space hurricanes, Beverly Cleary, Jessica Walter, all of this, and so, so much more, folks, as always. We are happy, uh, ecstatic, beyond belief to have you here for another episode of the Universe. It's go time. History lessons. What's up? <laughs> Welcome back to the show, folks. It's the Uticast, episode 301. Uh, an exciting mm. first episode after I can't our... believe we didn't talk about the movie 300 at all last week. So, am I in the am I in the minority in saying I don't like that movie? When's the last time you saw it? Years ago. Watch it again. I mean, it's probably the best Zack Snyder... No, I guess not. I guess Dawn of the Dead is the best Zack Snyder movie. But Did he make Sin City? I think that uh, was him. I had the look. Maybe? I think yeah, it was. Was it him? Snyder's mm -hmm. such a, you know, I, I swear to God, I almost, I almost, yesterday, if I was feeling a little better, I got up really early. Mm. I planned on putting it on and watching it so that when you eventually got up, you'd find me watching the Snyder cut somewhere in the middle and I was going to gauge your reaction. Hilarious. Uh, and I didn't even really want to watch it. That'd be simply as a troll job to you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if I... How are you going to justify it to yourself? Oh, yeah, I'm totally going to get him by watching this movie for four hours. I mean, if I... No, I definitely watch... don't want to see it or anything. If I wanted to watch it, I wouldn't watch it already. I've had yeah. time. <laughs> it's... I'm going to watch Godzilla immediately on Wednesday. There's going to be no holdover time for me to watch King Kong versus second Godzilla. Second I get home. I'm not even working that day. I'm going to be there Wednesday morning, ready to go. Mm. Uh, speaking of which, folks... Well, before we get into that, let's get into this week's guest. First time guest, actually. One of the rare things mm. now as we get into episode 301. As nature begins to heal. As, as nature begins to heal. Uh, we're joined uh, by the lady behind BodyWise Pure Pilates, uh, Valerie Lapata, who will be joining us. They just recently became the third local winner of the Be a Neighbor Fund uh, sponsorship. So exciting mm. for them. Really happy to talk with them uh, and have them explain to me what Pilates is. Because I didn't want to look it up because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have her explain it to me. Mm. She seems like a pro and I don't want to come in here pretending like I know what I'm talking about. Mm. I assumed that it's not yoga. I know that because I know what yoga is. It's not yoga. It's not yoga. It isn't. <laughs> so yeah, she's joining us in just a little bit. Excited to talk to her. Uh, Kevin, as I mentioned, this Wednesday, Godzilla vs. King Kong comes out. It's a cultural phenomenon. People were excited, I think. Who? I don't know. You. I know you are. Yeah, very excited, very excited. Love a Godzilla movie. Just going to give you folks a little uh, quick, very, very quick, I promise. 
Quick King Kong versus Godzilla primer for you. So in 1954... No. In 1962. In 1962, the original... You can't have this in history lessons. This is quick. Uh, In 1962, the original King Kong versus Godzilla came out. It is the third film in the Godzilla franchise. And the first ever uh, produced in color. Which is why it was one of the early important Godzilla movies. The Mm. first two Godzilla movies that came out uh, were in black and white. And what a time. Black and white movies. Black and white movies, well, especially with a movie where it's a giant guy in a suit as a monster, yeah. that black and white helps to cover up some of the clunky-looking special effects, which I found charming. Good point. Uh, one of the interesting things about this movie, uh, the original one, it was thought up by Willis O'Brien, who was the original man who animated King Kong. And the original idea was for King Kong to fight a giant version of Frankenstein's monster. Mm. So, like, King Kong versus the Gollum, essentially, would have been the mm. movie. Which I would have been intrigued by as well. Kong. Uh, I got Kong all day in that. Kong versus giant Frankenstein monster? Yeah, I would yeah. Kong. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, without uh, Willis O'Brien's knowledge, though, this project was given to Toho uh, Pictures, who own the Godzilla franchise, who decided to replace Frankenstein's monster with Godzilla, thus King Kong versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Now, King Kong is iconic, one of the most iconic American movie figures, monster characters of, since the beginning of cinema. Godzilla, though, in 1962... It only had two movies, the well-received Japanese film Gojira and the sequel, uh, Godzilla Raids Again, which was called Gigantus the Fire Monster in America. I know this because I had it on VHS. Uh-huh. And that movie was not a success. There were no plans after that movie to continue the Godzilla franchise. The success of King Kong vs. Godzilla, which to this day, if you adjust the numbers, is still the most successful Godzilla movie ever made in terms of uh, J- Japanese audience... This movie essentially revived Toho's interest in creating the Godzilla series, which continues on to this day. Mm. So you can thank the original King Kong vs. Godzilla for making Godzilla relevant again and and pushing the character forward into 2021. Well, I'll certainly have an edible arrangement on the road for these folks tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I, I, and the weird thing about this movie is I've read a couple of reviews because the reviews are out today. Sure. They're weirdly good. Not good, but... I this, always this this ties right in to being like a Bills fan and a Knicks fan and yes. all this same kind of stuff where it's like, I don't know, man, it can't be good. How good does it get? Like, uh, it's a little suspicious that people are all saying it's good. I don't trust it. I assume it's good enough if the reviews are if if the reviews are like giving it bees. You know what I mean? Like this is the type of movie that very very comfortably slots front and center in the type of movies where it's only got to be so good. That is correct. And I can meet you there as a fan of horror movies because there's a lot of movies that I like that are horror movies that I'm aware are like only okay, right. yeah, yeah, but yeah. I enjoy them because I like the genre. You know what That's I mean? Correct. And as a Godzilla mark and a monster movie and creature feature guy, you're only going to need so much from Godzilla. You know what I mean? Whereas like you know perhaps if you're some other kind of person, you're going to be like, oh, this isn't really for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a kaiju hipster. I watched this movie as a kid. You are a kaiju hipster. I've been uh, on the Godzilla thing <laughs> since a little, since I was a young man. Mm. Like, I, I'm not even joking when I say I must have watched King Kong vs. Godzilla a hundred times. We're going to get to this question actually later in the day. So, Kev, start thinking about that. Like, what movie you've watched the most in your life. Mm. Uh, but this is a real argument for a movie that, as a kid, I would have watched every other day. I was obsessed with this movie, the original King mm. Kong vs. Like, obsessed which is why I've made such a big deal about this new one, because I never thought I would see King Kong vs. Godzilla in, like, the modern adaptation of it. 
Don't you, though? Doesn't that seem like inevitably they would have to do it? No, I mean, they I made a... Aliens versus Predator. They made Freddy versus Jason. When I was a younger man, I didn't think they would make it again. Like, why would they make this movie again? It already you just didn't really realize. I didn't think about it, right? That happens. Yeah. yeah, we weren't doing that yet. You know, so if even if it's a mediocre, I'll be very excited. Mm. Uh, other things this week. Quick notes before we get into the, uh, the actual news this week. Uh, so I started a new gig mm-hmm. uh, at a new place. Started this morning, which is why I'm a little... I feel like I'm on the, like, under the gun today because of it. Uh, but I, I don't want to get into where I'm working. It's not important. People who know me, I'll yeah, talk to them. Yeah, we've got to draw some lines. Uh, but I will give you some interesting things. Somebody that I, DM me. I'll tell you anything you need to know yeah. about Sam's new uh, job. But I'll tell you one thing, and this is probably the most interesting thing today that happened to me. Uh, the biggest thing with this job is transitioning from dealing with high school kids to elementary school kids. Mm. It is a big change Yeah, in terms of... Well, a couple different things. And I I got three different things I'll share with you. Number one, earnest positivity. There is a... My high school kids and the kids, the older kids, sort of liked that I was this grumpy, curmudgeon-y old man who would, like, turn up my nose. This kaiju hipster. This guy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, they liked that they would talk to me about, like, Spongebob or memes. They'd be like, that's lame. You know, like... But you had big Mr. Turner vibes. Yes. From Boy Meets World. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, with younger kids, mm-hmm. there is none of this. I can't do any of this. It's really just gotta be, that's great. That's mm-hmm. amazing. You watched Batman this weekend? Awesome. That's super cool. I love Batman. Yeah, yeah. That, and I do like Batman, but that's gonna take me some time. Just that's, to, prob- that's probably, like, a positive. For me, personally. Yeah, I for think. sure. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, I think yeah. that'll actually end up being a really rewarding aspect of this new avenue that you're taking in the career field you know what i mean uh the second part that almost goes with that is patience Mm. because little kids take forever Mm. to do anything even Mm. when you think they understand it Mm -hmm. it takes forever uh case in point today we were doing uh subtraction of fractions subtracting and adding fractions remember this yeah first off it's totally different now than when we were kids the whole process for how they teach you is totally different Mm. but you know, for the first time in maybe 15 years, I'm looking at math stuff that I'm like, oh, I know this. I know how to do this. This yeah, is easy. true. So for me, it took me like five minutes to get back in the swing of things. And now the kids are moving along. And I'm like, you're right there, kid. Just say it. Just say it. You're right there. It takes them like an extra 10, 15 seconds to, to get there. It's rewarding. But again, going to have to work on my patience. I'm mm-hmm. not a particularly patient guy in general. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. I don't know about that. I feel like you're somewhat patient. You're patient in avenues. I can see other areas where I guess you're not, but... I... I mean, I put up with a lot of nonsense. I don't know if that makes me patient. <laughs> it's in a lot of ways, yeah. Uh, I think that I... There are some things that set me off real quick. And that's my big concern is, mm. like, loud noises as I get older. Like, a lot of... Like, I used to get frustrated if I was in the hallways at Proctor back in the day because it'd just be mad loud. Mm. And it starts to wear on me a little bit. Little kids are loud. Now, again, this is a hybrid classroom, so a lot of these like, a lot of these kids aren't even here, right? But yeah, that's that's that that's one I got to work on. And then uh, I guess the last one is I have to teach all the subjects. Yeah. For the last five, ten years, I've done nothing but history. Yeah, that's true. So now I got to like I'm talking to these kids about like igneous rocks, yo, and sedimentary rocks. What a job, yo! The igneous rock, my favorite of the rocks. I was gonna say, yeah. igneous, then metamorphic, then sedimentary. That's right. I always thought, now, metamorphic is at the bottom, I think, for me. Well, it's because it's the least defined of the three. People understand igneous, people understand sedimentary, people were thrown off by metamorphic. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. 
It's kind of a catch-all category. Yeah, I think the idea with metamorphic is it... I, I don't remember, and i got to look back. Uh, <laughs> As we venture out into rock types. Into rock types. We've gotten into rocks here today. Uh, geology. And then, uh, what else did I have? I had... Oh, and I guess uh, I have to give a fond farewell to the Syracuse Orange, who were bumped from the NCAA mm. tournament this weekend by Houston. In a game which, I'm going to say it, I was really down on Syracuse all year. Did not like the team for the regular season, thought they didn't deserve to make the tournament. Really enjoyed them winning those first two games of the tournament against teams who I, I kind of think dropped the ball a little bit against Syracuse. Like Sarah, For sure. Buddy Bayheim, Jordan-esque. I know, everyone was talking about it. <laughs> uh, but this game really annoyed me because watching this game, and maybe Kev, you can speak to this as well, I felt like Syracuse actually played the game they were supposed to play but just missed all of their shots. Yes. They played the right defense. Oh, yeah. Houston wasn't all that great. Yeah, yeah. But like somewhere they just I think they were like They missed they missed so, so, oh. so many shots in that game. Brick City. Oh, so many God. shots in that game. Because you're right, it wasn't a high scoring game. No. No. Uh really unsa- really upsetting way to go because I do think if they had won that game, it would have been really interesting to see them play whatever weird team they would have played. I was next. ready for Buddy Beheim to go on an all time, <laughs> once in a lifetime right. legendary run. Just because I think it would be amazing for all my friends oh. that are Syracuse fans and all the people of this area, and I want to see Buddy Beheim be the mayor of Syracuse for life. But uh, alas. <laughs> that's all right. You know, another year Syracuse makes it to the Sweet 16 and then underwhelms. That's very typically Syracuse. So, you know. Nature is healing. Nature is healing. Nature <laughs> is healing. All right, let's get into uh, big news of the week, and let's start with some local news. Some, I guess, well, it's national, but it's also about us. Uh, Earlier this week, the U.S. Department of Justice says county officials in central New York violated the rights of voters in a congressional election won by Republican uh, Republican Representative Claudia Tenney by 109 votes. Uh, Top Justice Department official notified Atlanta County on Tuesday that the federal government plans to sue over violations that disenfranchise voters if a settlement is not reached. This is from uh, KTB if people are curious. Uh, the department says officials failed to process thousands of registration applications and improperly rejected affidavit ballots, violating both the National Voter Registration Act of 1993 and the Help America Vote Act of 2002. Uh, the NVRA, uh, NVRA requires election officials to process voter registration applications sent to reg- uh, agencies like the Department of Motor Vehicles as long as they were submitted at least 30 days prior to election day. In a letter to the county, the JOD said upon review they found that the county was in violation of the NVRA after failing to process 2,400 voter registration applications that were submitted within the retired uh, required time frame. Mm. Uh, there's more on here you can go into. I don't have a ton of follow-up on this necessarily right now. Mm. Uh, how important is this? Well, here's my take. Here's my only take uh, that I have for right now because this obviously just happened. You know what I mean? And I would have to read more about it before I would have an informed opinion, really. Yeah. But I'm just glad that this is getting some national attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad. And not I not not even to the point where I care who won or anything right. like yeah. that. But the whole situation that it took so long, that the process was such a mess. Everything mm-hmm. was up in the air. Nobody knew. I mean, it was a running joke on this show for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I, I just, I hope that because of the national attention being brought to this now, that there is some accountability with the process because we have had a ton of problems with it. And I think New York State as a whole could do better in just the way that we run these things, put things th- put the things together, you know what I mean? Get yeah. a better structure in place. It seemed like a real mess and it seems like something that we got to tighten up. So hopefully the national attention will draw a little more pressure to it. Well, especially, And these folks will get it together next time we have to have elections. You know what I mean? Especially in smaller... votes, man. That's what I'm saying. And I was I was just going to say, too, you know, 
with it in in smaller local elections when you're talking about mayors and councils and stuff like that you know 100 100 votes matter and it shouldn't be that hard yeah to get it all done and just be more organized so that you can have a little more direct accountability in your practice you know what i mean uh national voting news this week this was the big story uh georgia on thursday uh enacted broad voting restrictions champions by republicans that activated uh essentially aimed to curtail the influence of black voters who were instrumental in state elections that helped Democrats win the White House and narrow control of the U.S. Senate. This is today from uh, Reuters. Uh, so the measure, essentially, the big thing that people are talking about is it, it makes it illegal for you to give people water when they're in line voting, things like that, make it real hard to vote. Mm. My thought about this when I was reading it is, if I went to vote, and whatever party gave me a bottle of water swayed my vote, I feel like I probably wasn't ready to go vote anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels weird that, like, you would be swayed by something like that. I don't think that's... I don't think that's it. I think the notion is if you're going to close a bunch of polling places... Mm-hmm. So the polling places, people... If you're going to close a bunch of polling places yeah. and then make it harder to send in a mail-in ballot or not make it, you know, people as able to send mm-hmm. one in or qualified to send one in or whatever, that just means you're going to have big, long lines in Georgia. And a lot of people, what you're trying to do is basically you're pushing people off. So it's like, oh, man, this line is mm-hmm. going to be seven hours to vote. Yep. If somebody's out there being like, hey, here's a bottle of water. Here's an apple. You know what I mean? I know you're in mm-hmm. line. It's important that you got to vote. Hang out. You're more likely to stay and cast your vote. So this is just aimed at not buying votes of bottles of water or stuff like that, but making it comfortable for people right. to stay and wait. You know what I mean? They're just the, the whole thing is designed to try to make it as comfortable, as uncomfortable and as difficult as possible to cast your vote. And if you can look at the early versions of this legislation that were trying to limit Sunday voting, which is very popular in the South, mm-hmm. uh, especially with black voters who do Souls in the Polls program, which people were talking about recently. So, mm-hmm. you know, there have been parts of this that have been changed. But uh, as of this week, as of Thursday, President, uh, President Biden called uh, these measures by Republican legislators un-American. That was his mm-hmm. quote. So, yeah, pay attention. Well, here we go. Here's a story that's less political, but it's all over the place. The ships stranded in the Suez Canal can restart their journey today after the Evergreen, uh, the Ever Given anchors uh, was finally moved out of the way and stopped blocking the Suez Canal. It's a weird story. Yeah, it captured the captured the attention of the world for yeah. like three days. The average number of ships that go through the canal on a daily basis uh, is usually about eighty to ninety ships. The interesting thing about this is that since it's going to take six or more days for the queue of all the things that were blocked by the by the ship to actually get through. Yeah. And it makes me, it, it's so funny, you know, there's a million angles you could take with this Sioux Canal story. I think, or Suez Canal, but I think the thing that I take the most from it is how our entire system of life is always just like hanging by a thread. It's, yeah, buddy. <laughs> That's not funny. It's not, yeah, buddy. No, it's not funny. But like, it's just, we are the most advanced like society of humans that's ever existed, right? We have so much technology and all the things, but yet one ship went the wrong way and we're like, what do we do? We're so screwed, right? It's all this one thing, just the whole thing tumbles down. It feels very House of Cards sometimes. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's because it, it really kind of is, you know what I mean? A lot of yeah. stuff you said is just the stories we tell ourselves to not go like star craving mad every single day, <laughs> really. Uh, let's move on from that. Uh, oh, also New York News, I guess we should talk about this. Uh, for folks who have not already received their first vaccine, uh, New York State announced today they are opening COVID-19 vaccine eligibility to those 30 or older on Tuesday and those 16 or older on April 6th. So for folks who have not been able to get a vaccine through whatever 
Avenue. Uh, if you are 30 or above, starting on Tuesday at 8 a.m., you can now apply to get your shot of the vaccine. Mm. So, again, you see a lot of states now. It's, like, such a weird time because a lot of states are just getting rid of all restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you're, you know, now you're starting to see New York, you know, make the—I think this is probably the right move, starting to expand this eligibility a little bit. Because uh, it feels like a lot of the people I know who want it are in this age range. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. this is, like—so— Well, yeah, a lot of people—I mean, the people you know are in this age range. That's a great point. This is, your, this is your peer group. New York is one of the final states to open up va uh, vaccine eligibility to all of those 16 or older— the state had previously announced anyone 50 or older was eligible to receive the vaccine. Uh, you can go to the New York State, uh, New York.gov website for more information if you haven't done that already. Uh, speaking of New York, uh, for real this time, this is from Politico Playbook. Uh, there is a deal in place to legalize marijuana in New York State. Late on Saturday night, Governor Andrew Cuomo and Democrats in the legislature uh, uh, released uh, bills laying out the agreement to make the drug deal for recreational, uh, the drug legal. Uh, <laughs> laid out the agreement to make the drug legal for recreational use by adults. Uh, the bill will still need to pass. It has to age for three days before any action can be done on it. Uh, the deal has now been put into official legislative language. It is the most promising sign yet of negotiations that have spanned several years, leaving New York eclipsed by and leaking tax revenue to neighboring states that have launched their own legal marijuana programs. Uh, this is from Politico if you want to read more about this. I mean, we've talked about it before. It just seems like a, a waste of money not to do it. Yeah, certainly. It's got pretty broad um, popular public support, too. I think that one of the things that I would like to make sure happens as this goes forward is that a lot of people need to have their records expunged mm -hmm. for stuff like this. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people, you know, there's people still in jail today for, like, you know, marijuana crimes that are not that large. And people have stuff on their record for... Yeah. What would be well, well, well within legal limits here. And I think we got to make sure, you know, luckily I think as a state we'll probably fight towards that or there will definitely be groups and voices pushing that way. But that's just one of the things that, like, you know, I'm excited to see this. I think this is a good move for the state. It seems to make a lot of sense for me. I think it, you know, New York State has a proud, proud tradition of being leaders in, you know, farming and different stuff like that. But, um... Well, what you're talking about seems to be a big part of the deal in general. One of the talk things to talk about is the New York program would compensate communities that have been ravaged by the state's drug laws. The deal as it stands currently would dedicate 40% of its revenue to reinvestment in communities disproportionately affected by harsh penalties for marijuana possession, primarily where the majority of residents mm. are people of color. Oh, boy, people are going to hate it. Uh, but that's, that's really good. Yeah. That's good to hear. Uh, it also includes equity programs for participation in the new legal industry and elimination of penalties for possession of less than three ounces and automatic expungement of records for people with previous convictions for activities that are no longer illegal. Uh, this is good news for Andrew Cuomo, who could badly use a win among investigations into harassment allegations, toxic workplace culture, and handling of COVID deaths, which he's been getting killed. Mm. I've heard a lot of people say the more things that he gets yelled at for, the more things New York State gets. So gambling coming next. Legal gambling. Just waiting for somebody else to get mad at Cuomo. And then it's an interesting take I've heard. I mean, I don't think this should absolve him in any way. And I don't, I don't think, think it does. Take any kind of no, I don't think it does either. No, it doesn't. I don't think that's, I don't think that's like a real, uh, yeah, no, I don't think it does either. No, I don't think it does. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of joking around, but it just seems like he's going to do anything to try and like get some good PR now, it feels like. Does it feel like that or is this just like the timing? of it because this is you said years long push you know what i mean like yeah they said it yeah but i feel like we've talked about this before and it felt like it was gonna get pushed through and never did for whatever reason i don't know maybe i'm this wrong is one of those things where it takes i mean i don't maybe think, i don't maybe you're right did he come out and just be like hey by king cuomo decree this is now legal please don't pay attention to all my you know crimes and missteps 
Or is this just the legislature finally advanced this? And right. This I, I guess that's probably that to go through. I'd have to look. I, I don't. I you know, know what I mean? Exactly. I just I, the whole. I mean, I know everything that happens in New York directly <laughs> goes through Cuomo. I gotcha. I or directly goes through him, and he has a hand in everything. Yeah. A lot. Well, I yeah. I, regardless of whether this is why this has gone through, it was overdue, mm-hmm. and the state will almost certainly benefit from it. Yeah. Right. So if for whatever reason that this finally got pushed through, it will benefit us in the long run the way that I think it has Colorado and New Jersey sure. and Massachusetts and all these other states. So uh, here's one for you, Kevin. I'm sure you'd be good at this. So I'm going to write this down for you. This is from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Reviews.org, a company that tests home services and products, announced a 24 hour digital detox challenge. The company said they will pay participants $2,400 if they survive a single day without any screens. Now, this isn't just your phone screen. This is any screen. So you're talking uh, televisions, uh, phones, gaming computers, laptops, smartwatches, nothing. So no no electronics, no screens for the whole day. Uh, chosen participants will, have, will receive a safe for their devices. They can store all the devices for 24 hours. And they'll get a $200 Amazon gift card to create a tech-free survival kit for themselves. Mm. What are your thoughts on this, Kevin? Do you think you could do it? Uh, can we... I would like to know, can you get this money per day? So can per I just day, do this day by day? day? <laughs> can it compound? I mean, yeah, like, I use I use screens plenty, you know what I mean? I'm always reading my phone, I'm always looking at my phone, you know, TV's on, different stuff like that. But, no, at the end of the day, this is a piece of cake. If you can't do this yeah. for $2,400, you are not... You don't understand the value of $2,400. Ooh, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry. If you couldn't, even if you're obsessed with your phone or whatever, Ugh. if you can't suck it up for $24, you'd be making $100 an hour yeah. just to stay off of technology. This It'd is be a, a dream. I, I go on vacation to not look at screens. <laughs> this is a vacation. So for 24 hours, i got to take, what, a couple of books, a pot of coffee, a musical instrument, yeah. like, oh. you know, a couple of beers, be maybe great. like a nice meal. Oh, wow. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, 2400 Sign yeah. me up. Uh, I don't know if you have to Literally, literally sign me up. Go to reviews.org. I think this is only in Knoxville, Tennessee, I would imagine. This is where mm. this is based out of, but I'll take a look anyway. Uh, also in financial news, uh, I just got to roll my eyes at this one. I'm going to give you the headline. New study finds birds give people as much happiness as money. Researchers have found that higher incomes may improve people's day-to-day well-being, but a new study suggests that biological diversity, especially from birds, can create life satisfaction just as much as income. I'm going to stop you right here. I hate birds. Birds are gross. Mm. Birds do not make me happy. Not a fan of birds. Don't like them. I would rather take the money. Kevin, thoughts? Uh, I'm a big fan of the birds. I support the birds. <laughs> I like birds. Um, but no. <laughs> no. This, I mean, this is like some, this is some weird, like, it's just some weird propaganda to be like, hey, we're not going to pay you anymore, but look at them birds. We got some birds. I get what they're saying. It's nice to be surrounded by, like, animals and nature. I love yes. when I'm sitting outside and there's, like, some cool birds to look at doing a thing. Like, I gain something, like, valuable from that, and I enjoy that time. But with that being said, no. 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 I, maybe Charlie. Maybe Charlie the cat. Even if I was rich, right? Like, yeah. if, I, if I had $10 million, maybe seeing some really cool birds would make me just as happy as $50,000 would. But I don't have ten million dollars, so that is correct. I do not have I'll take the money. All right, let's do uh, let's do a new segment that I got here this week. Uh, it's called "That's Good, That's Bad." Mm. All right, first one this week: uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts is catching flack for its latest promotion, where it offered free original glazed donut to any consumer who showed their COVID vaccination card. People did not like this. 
Uh, last Monday, the donut chain announced that the offer, which is applicable to any customer that has received at least one of the two doses of the, uh, of the vaccine, is available at locations nationwide and goes on to the end of 2021. So, if you got your vaccine already, go to Krispy Kreme and get a free donut. Mm-hmm. Uh, people seem to be mad because they think obesity is a growing problem in America and a risk factor for COVID. So they think it's weird that the donut company is trying to support it. But I, 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 I don't. I'm not mad. Oh, at Krispy. So are they trying to cancel donuts? No. Let me get to this. Mm. Let me get to that's bad. Uh, also this week, uh, a New Jersey gym owner, in response to this, is offering free memberships to his gym for people who don't get. The COVID nineteen vaccine. Mm. So I can already see where this is gonna. I can already see where this is going. Right? We're gonna get to a situation where we're gonna like your business is gonna pick a side now. You're either the pro vaccination business or the anti vaccination business. I think some of them, but I think any business that makes that hard of a stance often usually just like people not even like, oh, I don't like your politics, so I'm not gonna shot there. But it's like you guys are so singularly obsessed with this weird thing mm. that I don't really know about you, and I'm gonna go the other way. Uh, but I mean, yeah, good luck on good, you know, good luck on everybody's wild older like aunt and uncle on Facebook. Good luck with, good luck with having those folks come to your gym. It's gonna be gonna be killer. I mean, good PR for this guy. I never heard of his gym otherwise, but no. how silly? Uh, how silly? It seems very silly. It seems very silly. All right. Uh, so normally what we do this uh, thanks I hate it, but I guess we're just gonna call this one old men yell at clouds. The mm. segment. Uh, here's one for you, Kev. Uh, old people don't like young music, seems to be the story here. They never have. Uh, earlier this week, hip-hop star Little Nas X sparred with critics of his latest song and his subsequent shoe line that accompanied it. Mm-hmm. The rapper released his controversial new song, Montero, Call Me By Your Name, last week, and it caught people's attention for a music video that sees him dressed provocatively, pole dancing, and giving Satan a lap dance in hell. Didn't take long before many were voicing their displeasure with the rapper's sexually explicit and religiously controversial video, prompting him to take to Twitter and pull no punches in his response. Y'all love saying we're going to hell, but get upset when I actually go there. LMAO, he writes on Twitter. Mm. I gotta say, Lil Nas X is killing these people on Twitter who are coming after him. That's what you get for trying to attack a young folk. Don't come at young folks. Don't come at young folks on Twitter. It's a mistake. Uh... Oh, so you followed that with, there's a mass shooting every week that our government does nothing to stop. Me sliding down a CG pole isn't what's destroying society. Mm. So he's got takes on this. Uh, look, I'm just going to throw this out here. I, a lot of people, you're not supposed to understand young people's music, old people. If you're offended by the, the, the Satan imagery in the video, I mean, weren't people mad about this with like Ozzy Osbourne in the 70s? Isn't it mm-hmm. all the same? All of it, yeah. It's all just old people yeah. yelling at clouds. Mm-hmm. I haven't even listened to the song. I just know that people are mad about this music video. And apparently he has some Nike sneakers that have, like, satanic imagery on them. And Nike's trying to walk back from it. Like, oh, we don't have anything to do with this. <laughs> people just don't. Uh, there, there's so few people who are media literate enough to un, to not, like, to understand when they're being marketed to. Mm-hmm. Like, if people don't think, if you don't think that there was a meeting yeah. somewhere Within the company with, you know, Lil Nas X and his, the company who puts him out and the people who work for him, or in situations like this, if you don't think there was a meeting for how we're going to mine this controversy and use the controversy to bring attention to this product, I, I have a tough time knowing what to tell you, to be honest with you. I'm going to even go from a music perspective. So Lil Nas X had, like, the biggest single of all time, Feel mm-hmm. I felt like, right? Sure. He was probably never really going to be able to match that success. No. Straight from a music perspective. This was a great way to keep yourself relevant mm-hmm. and in the cult. I'm not even saying anything wrong here. This is a smart PR move. Like this I is, agree. This is good business savvy to keep yourself in the mainstream, 
keep people talking about you. Because mm-hmm. all the things I know about Lil Nas X seems like he's a really nice guy and he's really smart and gives back to his community and is really clever and sure. writes interesting music. So, you know, like, good. If people think that this is your thing and they're talking about you, again, when it comes to, like, music, especially, like, quote-unquote controversial music, like punk rock and hip-hop, mm-hmm. this is good This is good PR. This I, is, to, I mean, it's you know what's crazy to me is to see it happen amongst people... You know, I guess I guess this happens in every generation or whatever. But amongst people of our age range oh my that God. I talk to, I know. it's just so crazy to me because, like, I remember stuff. Like, I remember being a kid. I remember the VMAs. And I remember Marilyn Manson came out and did The Beautiful People. And he looked like a dead sex zombie. And he was wearing, like, a leather <laughs> bustier <is> <laughs> and, like, a G-string. Had his ass cheeks out and was, like, out there. looked like it was insane. And, like, parents had thoughts about it, and people were like, this is crazy, this is the worst, this is going to ruin all the kids. And that just made every kid think it was cooler and want it more. People have been doing this stuff for, for a billion years, you know what I mean? Let me ask you. I didn't find Marilyn Man- those Marilyn Manson videos to be unsettling as a kid. As a 35-year-old, 36-year-old, do you find it less interesting now like what are your thoughts on it now i mean now now that he's uh like a pretty affirmed right right right, right, right. that's a whole separate thing to take away the enjoyment of like i didn't even think about that i just mean from like a Uh, artistry but certainly everybody go watch the if you if you've never seen it or it's been a long time the music video for the song the beautiful people like the actual mtv music video Mm -hmm. i can't imagine what it must have been like when I was like 11 or 12 and I'm like oh this is cool on MTV and like a parent comes in and they're just like you know my parents who grew up listening to the Beatles and the Doors and the Who come in and that music video is on I mean that like that's I don't know I've seen horror movies that aren't as scary uh, and before we get to this week's interview let's do a very quick uh, Diego Maradona Big Energy Award and this one you know it's good because it's from Jacksonville, Florida mm. uh Here's just the headline. Uh, police, Florida woman shows up to daughter's school wearing boxing glove, fights child, gets arrested. Uh, 34-year-old mother arrived at the school wearing a boxing glove, telling school officials it was super glued to her wrist and she couldn't remove it. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, this woman is 34 years old. She's essentially two years younger than me. She looks like she's about 60. <laughs> that yeah. does not look like someone who is our age. I'm just yeah, going to throw that out there. Somebody who's on drugs. Drugs. Uh, don't show up. Don't fight kids. Number one, <laughs> don't show up with boxing gloves at a school and try and fight kids. Oh. I don't I don't. This is like one of those things that you put like on the bottom of a bottle that doesn't like, don't drink the bleach. Like you, sh- you should know these things. Don't, don't show up and mm. fight children. You're going to jail. You get arrested for it. Uh, all right. Let's get to... <laughs> Let's get to... The big energy is really, I guess, from super gluing the boxing glove to your wrist. The what is that move? The commitment to the bit. The commitment to the bit is really the big so energy. So listen, I'm boxing today. I'm fighting someone. As if the person thought, like, the boxing glove is the most intricate part of the plan. Like, if I lose this glove, my whole plan goes out the window. It's all gone. But I think yeah. I think that's probably the idea, right? Because you're going to a school to beat a child. <laughs> uh, and you're an adult like this crazy woman. The boxing glove will give you enough protection that you're not going to, like... Boxing gloves make the hit not so hard. So she's like, yo, I'm going to go hit this kid, and I don't want to go to jail for, like, murder, but I'm going to do some swinging. Is this story wilder or less wild if she used Hulk hands as opposed to boxing gloves? Or Hulk hands? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, More Florida. More Florida. It's definitely more Florida. 
All right, let's. Uh, that's it, Diego Maradona Big Energy Award. Uh, let's get to this week's interview. Very excited, a first-time guest on the podcast. It's a rare occurrence these days on the show. We are joined uh, by the woman behind BodyWise Pure Pilates, Valerie Lapata, who just this week became the third recipient of the uh, Handshake City of Aiden Utica Be a Neighbor Fund Award. So really excited to talk to her about her. Uh, BodyWise, she can explain Pilates to me and I won't feel so dumb anymore. Uh, really excited to talk to her. She's coming up right now. Can you hear me? Hey, I sure can. How are you? I'm very good. How's it going today? All right, all right. Great to uh, meet you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you. I just have to let you know a couple things right off the bat. Yes. Number one, as I, because you're a new guest, you don't know this. Uh, I am very bad with technology. So as of right now, I'm already recording. I hope that's okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> And number two, I've already said your name a couple times in the presentation. This, so I hope I didn't pronounce your name incorrectly, but we are joined uh, by Valerie Lapata. Lep- uh, Did I say that right? That's right, Lapata. And Valerie, I didn't know what your exact title was, but what is your title over at uh, BodyWise Pure Pilates? Uh, well, I'm the owner of the business and also a Pilates instructor. Okay, so you are the owner. I didn't want to... I didn't want to be wrong when I was telling people what your what your job was. So it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm so happy to have you on. For folks who don't know, who haven't been on Maiden Utica's website, you guys just became the third recipient of the Be a Neighbor Fund from Handshake City. Uh, so that means you'll receive $1,000 a month over the next three months for $3,000 total. We're very happy that we were able to, to make this work. Um, and again, we appreciate all the people who sent an application and said wonderful things about the business. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm overwhelmed. Um, we, you know, when I saw that this uh, this fund was being started, um, I immediately wanted to be a donor. But the reality was, I needed to be on the other end. But my heart really wanted to be in the place where I was helping other businesses. I think a lot of people were in that sort of same place too. I don't think you should feel bad about that. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think you know what a great what a great you know idea for, to come up with and to really actually make happen uh, by the businesses that put it on, you know, you know, Universal Bookkeeper, I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, um, yeah I should mention. Design as well. And of course, Think You Bader <laughs> and yeah. Made in Utica. I mean, it doesn't get much better than those four, right? <laughs> All good, great friends of the pot. I was happy to, I'm glad you mentioned it because that was next on my list. So I appreciate you being ahead of me here. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, Valerie, uh, because you've never been on the show before, uh, I do want to dig into some questions about the business. And, you know, you've been owner for the past, how long? 20 years? So April, April this month, we celebrate 20 years. That's right. Amazing. It is amazing. Where the hell does it go? <laughs> I know, it's so quick, right? Uh, but before we get to that, we want our listeners to know a little bit about you. So we are going to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, Valerie, where were you born? Where were you raised? Uh, born in Saratoga Springs, New York, mm-hmm. um, but my family was living here in Whitesboro at the time, 
And um, yeah, and I was raised here in Whitesboro. I graduated from, you know, Whitesboro Central Schools. Um, And then I moved around a little bit and eventually settled back in this area. Met my husband, who's from Clinton, and um, we live in New Hartford. Very nice. Now, uh, you went to Whitesboro. Uh, I was a Proctor kid, so okay. we always assumed you guys were just like farm people. I don't know if that yep. was the case for you. <laughs> what, was the, what did you? Uh, what do you remember most from growing up in in Whitesboro? Did you Did you have like a fun childhood? Did you enjoy your time out there in Whitesboro? Uh, not so much. I wasn't particularly a big fan of school. Um, I was a ballet dancer as a child, so wonderful. My heart and soul were totally at the studio, um, the ballet studio at that point. And so it was just for me, it was just as soon as I can get out of school, I graduated high school a year early just so that I could go out and dance. So when did um, you pick up ballet as an interest? Like what what sort of, uh, what sparked that Yeah, I was, I think seven. I had been enrolled in gymnastics because my mom said I had too much energy. And um, <laughs> then um, I, for whatever reason, I made the transition to ballet and um, it just, I immediately became obsessed and addicted. I just loved it so much. <laughs> Are you, uh, you an only child? No, I have an older sister. Very nice, very nice. And you guys close? Very, very close. Yes. Well, I just, I was curious. I'm always curious to see how, you know, cause I, I actually moved away to finish my um, college degree. Okay. Uh, and then I came back to Utica. I think a lot of people get thrown off because they're like, oh, you went to New York city and then came back. I was like, well, all my family and friends are here. I like it up here. <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? I so, think it does take getting away from here to realize how incredible it really is to live here. I used to tell my high school kids that all the time. I'm like, sometimes it's okay to want to go see, the rest of the world. Just don't feel like you have to commit to everything you do. You can go try stuff and come back and all that kind of thing. But uh, so in school, you said you left a year, you finished a year early to go into dancing. That's right. Did you go to college after that for dancing or did you go to dance school? Like what, what happened after that? Like what was the next move after that? Yeah. So for me at the time, I will be honest and say that I didn't understand the value of college in the way that I do now. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like the time, the clock was ticking and that, you know, dancers careers are very short and very young. So I just wanted to get out there and dance. And I had been offered a job while I was in high school dancing for a small ballet company in uh, Pennsylvania. And my parents said, absolutely not. You have to finish high school first. So I said, that's it. I'm compressing my junior and my senior year and I'm getting out of here. And, um, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to leave. So my, I ended up getting a job, um, the summer that I would have graduated high school as a junior, um, dancing for the Hartford ballet in Connecticut. It was just an apprenticeship. Um, so, um, you know, I spent my days taking uh, ballet classes at the ballet school or taking ballet classes and rehearsing with the ballet company. And then my evenings taking classes with the school. And I did that for a year and a new director came in and fired the whole company and (laughs) hired his own dancers, his own picks. And yeah. And then I went on from there. So. Uh, I think that's really important. You know, I think there is this sort of, you know, I'm not going to age you in any particular way. I'm about 35 years old. And I grew up in the, with this sort of implicit understanding that was sort of passed down to people in my age range that if you went to school and went to college and got a degree, that you would have a guarantee at a great job afterwards and it would be this sign of success. And I'm not going to sit here as an educator and tell you that it's not necessarily true. I think for some, depending on what you do, you are better off having a college degree than not sometimes. But also, like, you know, what you're talking about, you know, I, I had to convince my 
parents when I was going to community college to let me drop out so I could join punk band. So, and, I, and those moments were really like important and influential in my life and becoming the person that I am. So I don't necessarily think you have to feel bad about making a decision about something that you thought you had to do. I think that's very uh, noble. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would do it differently uh, yeah. if I were to do it over, but I definitely have so much more value yeah. for a formal education now mm -hmm. than, you know, I had at the time. Well, I have to tell you, most high school kids say that to me when I see them as adults. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, here's my dirty secret for you, okay? All right. I do not know what Pilates is. I am familiar that is, it is a thing that people do for, uh, I assume, tell me how wrong, is this a core strength thing? Am I wrong? Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not hey, wrong. all right. Okay, so good start. <laughs> one, uh, one point. <laughs> I, I, go, I go as far as basic yoga when it comes to me preparing myself. So uh, for people who don't know, can you give us sort of like a quick, like elevator pitch on what Pilates is and what kind of people would be, you know, might be interested in pursuing it? Absolutely. So probably it's one of the hardest things to describe, which may explain why you really don't know much about it yourself. So I am terrible at the elevator pitch because I like to use a lot of words, mm -hmm. but I'm going to try my best. No, no. <laughs> um, so Pilates is a system of exercises that was developed by a man named Joseph Pilates. Um, he developed this system in the early 1900s, late 18, early 1900s. So it's very old. Um, it uses springs as the form of resistance. Mm -hmm. And it is um, definitely a system. So Joseph Pilates built this system with his own apparatus that he designed, um, again, using springs as the resistance piece. Every exercise is a whole body exercise. It, we use body weight um, and certainly, you know, uh, gravity and then the springs. Um, a lot of people will equate it to yoga for the reason that a good portion of Pilates can be done on a mat, sure, like yoga. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and uh, there are a lot of overlaps in some of the different positions that we that we make with the body. But I would say on a quick, um, as just a quick uh, example of how they might be different yeah. in yoga, there you tend to have a lot of um, static poses, yes. where in Pilates we are constantly moving. Now, I have to ask you this, because the only time I've ever really seen Pilates like portrayed in uh, the media was I watched one episode of the show Veep, where this guy went to a Pilates studio to like stalk his boss <laughs> okay. and put on like the machine, which I'm not exactly sure what that's called. Now, they were implying that that's like an advanced thing. You can't start Pilates and go right to the machine. Is that true? Not true. Not true. Not true. Not okay. True. No, one of the beautiful things I think about Pilates is that it completely meets you where you are. So I will tell you in the course of my day as an instructor here, um, I have a range of clients from my, I think eldest is 87. Um, she recently has had two knee replacements and, um, you know, does a phenomenal job during her workout, but her workout looks quite different than my 9am client who is a retired uh um, uh, athlete, you know, so, uh, yeah. So, and there's everything in between. Um, so here's the, here, I guess is the million dollar question because, you know, so as a guy who wanted to be a punk rocker, who ended up being a teacher, there was a transition somewhere along the way. So I'm curious, you know, you're, you're doing the ballet thing. 
where does Pilates first sort of make its appearance? Is this because you're doing ballet? Did you sort of stumble into this or did it? I did. And when did you sort of make the decision that this was something that was more than just for your own benefit? Like maybe you could make more out of this. Yeah, so uh, I did first encounter Pilates in Hartford, Connecticut that year. Um, and I truly was not impressed. <laughs> I was... <laughs> And I have seen this look on the faces of young dancers that I have worked with as a Pilates yeah. instructor now, sure. um, where I was just sort of like, mm, I feel like there's a lot of rules. It's really restrictive and I just want to move. And, you know, she keeps making me pull my ankle bones together and, you know, do all these things. Um, but, and I didn't, I understood that there was some value, but I didn't really get the value of it. Sure until much later. Um, but everywhere I'd go, each different company that I, that I'd work for and different directors that I'd work for would always say to me, have you, have you done Pilates? We recommend that you add some Pilates to your cross training. Um, and it, the reason was to be more connected to your center, to make your movements and to make your body more healthy and, uh, stave off injury, but also so that you were grounded. Mm -hmm. to your center. Yeah. Um, so as the years went on, I dabbled with Pilates, but I never really, A, I never really could afford to do it. One sure. of the beautiful things about Pilates is that the gold standard is the one-on-one -on -one session, mm -hmm. right? So it'd be like a personal training session where it's you and the instructor and the instructor is crafting the session for your body specifically. So against the syllabus that is Pilates, which is a very um, specific order of exercises. Um, but it's still crafted for you, meeting you where you're at. Um, so it can be costly. And as a dancer on a <laughs> dancer's salary, um, it wasn't something <laughs> that I could really do regularly. So it truly wasn't until I stopped dancing that I was craving. I never realized how much movement was a part of my life because I had never been without it. And when I stopped, um, it was earth shattering and I needed something to replace it. And I joined a gym and I started running and I tried all these things and nothing really scratched the itch the way a Pilates session did. So I took my first Pilates session in Albany in 1997, I believe. Wow. And I was hooked. I, and so I commuted to Albany twice a week just to just, just to do that. That's workouts. Yeah. And was that so? And, and that must have been like a sign to you, like if I have to drive to Albany to do this all the time, like maybe there's something I can do on my own to make this absolutely. Better. Yeah, it, it's it's funny to me now, as and I'm sure you can get this as an educator yourself. But um, from the first session I took, I was like, I want to learn how to teach this. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about it, but I want to learn how to teach this. Um, but I think you just sometimes you connect with things, right? Yeah, you know, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's funny. I, teaching is one of those things that I, I laugh about it now that I've got my master's degree in it, but like, and all teachers will tell you this, at least the teachers I know, any teacher who's gone through the process of like becoming a teacher will tell you that during the process, there was at least one moment where they're like, why am I doing this? This is a mistake. I should do something else. <laughs> but then like, once you're in the classroom, it's sort of, you're like, oh, now I remember why, because I, I like all this, you know, yeah. and, and I'm a ham and this is the only way people are forced to listen to me. Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about uh, the big elephant in the room here, certainly, which has been uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, because you guys are a fitness-based business, and I'm taking this from Katie's article on Handshake City, which you folks should go take a look at. Uh, you know, a lot of these fitness-based businesses are some of the first things to close down. Uh, you guys shifted to an online platform at a reduced price, but you still ended up losing about 50% of your initial clientele base. Is that what I'm reading here? 
That's right. Did what? What was that whole? I mean, it's hard to say what was that process like, but how could you possibly prepare yourself for this? Like, what? What when the when everything shut down in March? Did you have to start immediately coming up with a plan for what to do? Yes. So even slightly before. So um, I have uh, colleagues in other cities that are um, Pilates instructors and business owners as well. And fortunately, um, uh, some of them are in Manhattan and Manhattan was just a couple weeks, you know, ahead of us with all of this. And, you know, uh, one of my mentors who is in New York um, had said to me about a month before we need to think about shifting our businesses to an online model. And I was like, she's crazy. (laughs) I was like, maybe in New York, you know, but not here in Utica. Like that's not going to happen, whatever. So it was like rolling around the back of my head, but it never, I really didn't quite believe. And then as we'd get a little closer, and again, I think they were one week or two weeks ahead of us. And so being in contact with her, um, it was just a quick, like, this is what we're doing. And it was kind of one of those things where you're like, I'm just jumping in. I'm I, I don't know how this is going to work, but and I'm, I'm going to give it my best shot. <laughs> well, and I'm sure that you have the same, you know, I'm sure that we don't have any answers that nobody else has because I'm sure everyone's asking this question. Do you have any idea for when you start to think maybe some concept of normal again? Do I have any idea of when that Yeah, I feel like be? when you guys think you might be able to potentially have people in and quite hard to guess I would imagine well so we are back in the studio Mm -hmm. um now so August 24th after five months really yes we're back in live that's great so so for five months our our doors were closed um but as soon as the governor announced that gyms could open back up we fall under that category um you're still not at like full capacity obviously correct not at full 33 percent and it's got to be, a, and that's got to be frustrating, you know, not only as a, for a business owner, because you have people who work for you who rely on this business, right? And I mean, that's got to be a scary concept is, you know, even back open, we still can only do 33% of the business that we could be doing otherwise. That's right. Yeah. It's not exactly like that in the sense that um, it, the way it works, the capacity that I oh, have sure. learned okay. through the health department is um, it has to do with the fire code capacity. Um, oh, interesting and us making sure that we can keep six feet of distance between our participants. Um, so we're able to manage that. And of course, everyone is fully masked at all times, um, you know, and temperature checked and COVID questionnaired and all the whole ordeal, but we are grateful to be there. So we are happy to, you know, do uh, what we need to grateful. do. I wanna, I wanna mention this to you. I don't know if you've read this or I don't know if you've seen this already, but I wanted to share this with you. This is a quote from one of the nominators. We received, uh, six plus nominations for the be a fund for you guys for the be a neighbor fund and i just thought i don't know if you've read this already but it's very sweet and i wanted to share it with you uh my time at Bodywise has changed my life for the better helped me to understand just how important the synthesis of thought and movement is to my overall happiness uh though i had never practiced pilates before i came here Bodywise has been the biggest part of my move to utica the studio brings together people from disparate backgrounds experiences age groups and body types and the driving force behind this is Valerie Lapata, who has, through her um, empathy, kindness, and charisma, forged a devoted and truly caring community of people. What a quote. What wow. a nice, what <laughs> So, and I, and I'm, I don't know if you've read this already, but uh, I think it's important sometimes for people because uh, you don't always get a chance to see how you affect the day-to-day workings of people. So I, I hope you've had a chance to see some of these, so. Yeah, you know, I had no idea. Uh, I knew that one of my clients, uh, 
had nominated me. And what I didn't know was that apparently that message was shared um, mm-hmm. amongst clients. And um, I didn't know about all those nominations until oh, yeah. uh, Justin and Katie and yeah. Justin and Ryan and Megan, you know, came to deliver the check. And then they said, you had six nominations. And I said, what? And um, I did ask them to share with me a list of the names of the people that nominated me Wonderful. so that I can properly thank them because that is very, very kind. I have no idea. Uh, well, uh, and as for the business today, where can people, if they want to get hold of you or learn more uh, about BodyWise, where can they reach out to you? Where can they get in contact with you if they want to know more? Absolutely. So my website is bodywisepurepilates.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, through that website, you can view our class schedule and our appointment schedule. You can read a little bit about the business and a little bit about the history of Pilates. And then uh, you can book or schedule or both (laughs) your class uh, or appointment on there. And um, also reach out via email. Um, The email address is right there on the website, but bodywisedesk at gmail.com is a good one. And um, yeah, our phone number is also listed on the website. So we welcome phone calls, emails. And I'll try and link all the Facebook, Instagram, social stuff when we get to that. Oh, thanks. That was great. That would be great. I was just going to say, and then of course, Facebook and Instagram. No Twitter, I see. Smart. Very smart. Yeah. I haven't, you know, dipped my toe in that water okay. yet. So. It's not worth it. It's, not worth it. <laughs> uh, it's definitely not worth it from an advertising campaign. It's worth it if you like banter, but other than that, don't. Mm. Uh, let's do a couple quick lightning round uh, questions here for you. These are, if you're okay with it, the same five or six questions we ask everybody who has been on this show since uh, day one. Are you ready, Valerie, for your questions? I am. All right. Question number one. Valerie, uh, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Cream and sugar. Yes, please. <laughs> so, okay. Very good. Very good. I, uh, I've struggled to make the turn to black coffee. I feel like as an adult, I'm like, I should start drinking black coffee. And yet somehow, even right now, this is hazelnut coffee with creamer in it. So I can't sit here and pretend that I don't want like sweet coffee because I'm, I have no willpower, zero willpower. So I appreciate it. Yes, same. So I did train myself. It took a long time, but I trained myself to drink black coffee because I just know how the cream and the sugar both are not so good for me. And you know what got me off of it? I was not, I'm not a sugar substitute person. I don't care how natural it is. I don't care for it. Um, But, and then the other thing is like the creamers, I can do oat milk. I like oat milk, but it's not quite the same. So what did get me off cream and sugar was of all things, coconut oil, Um, spoonful of coconut oil buzzed around in the Nutribullet. And then it gets that frothy sort of, kind of cappuccino-esque thing. So I drank my coffee like that for probably two or three years. Smart. And then I think it was during COVID that I said, you know, I'm not denying I myself that awesome <laughs> cup of coffee anymore. So yeah. Uh, what was your first automobile? My first automobile that was actually mine? Sure. I think it was a Honda Civic. Hey, all right, Honda Crew. Yep, yeah, <laughs> little silver thing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you may or may not have taken your Honda Civic to see it. But what was your first live music event? <laughs> my parents took both my sister and I to see Sean Cassidy at SPAC. Yo, Sean Cassidy. Probably 1980s, I don't know, two, uh, 1982, somewhere around there. 
<laughs> oh man, excellent. You weren't born yet, were you? <laughs> I was close. Uh, do you remember anything from the concert? Do you remember watching any of it? Yes, like I remember that my family, some member of my family caught the sweat towel of the drummer, which I thought was such a bizarre thing that people would go crazy for. The sweat towel got tossed <laughs> to the audience and we were the lucky receivers. <laughs> uh, one of the jerkiest things I've ever done in my life, I was at a concert when I was a teenager. I was at the Utica Odd. We saw, I, I swear to God, Lisa Loeb and the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> and there's a guy in the, it behind us and he had a sign that said, throw me your drumstick to the drummer of the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh -huh. At the end of the show, the drummer throws the drumstick toward him and I caught it. I'm in front <laughs> uh -huh. of him, right? And the guy is begging me for this drumstick. He's like, I'll give you 20 bucks. I'll give you 30 bucks. And I said, give me a hundred. <laughs> he said, no. So I kept it. And to this day, I feel bad because like, I didn't care that much about the Goo Goo Dolls. I was just being a jerk. I should have just given it to him. And to this day, I wish I could find out who that person was. I don't even have the drumstick anymore. I just wish I could apologize to them because I was such a jerk. You're like that guy at Yankee Stadium that snatches the ball That's right from the mid of the kid in front of you, right? <laughs> that happened at Yankee games. It's an ugly sight. It's an ugly, ugly sight. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I'll give you another one here. Give me uh, one person who you would love to have dinner with, living or dead, who is not your family. Who would it be? <laughs> well, you know the answer to this one. Because of where I am right now, thanks to both my husband and a couple clients of mine who have turned me on to Mr. Stanley Tucci and his searching for Italy program. <laughs> it would be him. <laughs> so funny. I see him show up in so many things now. It's so, whenever he shows up in anything, I'm excited to see him. Even if it's like, I think he yeah. was like some terrible Transformers movie that I watched one time. I was like, oh, this movie is terrible. And then Tucci showed up. I'm like, you know what? This isn't so bad. <laughs> this, could be, this, this could be worse. I could hate this more. Yeah, uh, I guess there is a somewhat of a Tucci train. I have to admit, I really wasn't familiar, um, but this show has won me over. Um, <laughs> have you seen it? No, I have not. I I think my mom's watched it. I know she's very so amazing. Uh, well, speaking of which, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. So one book, album, movie, or television show that you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Okay, so, well, I already said that about the show, but, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not currently, but I recently have read a book that really, um, I feel like is a little bit of, maybe a little bit of an anthem for our day. Um, and it is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I'm gonna look that up. Okay, Untamed. What's it about? Is it like a nonfiction book or is it? It is nonfiction. It's a little bit about uh, her particular life story. Um, and in it are ramblings of, of, I believe maybe you would call her a, um, she was like maybe a Christian. Like a fundamentalist or something? No, but a Christian-based motivator, perhaps, sure. okay. whose life took maybe a path that didn't sure. reflect traditional Chris Christian values. Interesting. Um, and um, it is brilliant. I think it is worth reading hmm. man, woman, teenager. Um, what was the author again? Glennon Doyle. Um, she is uh, hmm. interesting. 
yeah yeah she's I think really worth it's she has several books out that's her most recent and it came out I just at the beginning of COVID hitting I just read an interesting one a few months ago and it was it was by this lady from Nicaragua who was part of the Sandinistas in the 1970s and her name was Gioconda Belli which people can look that up on the internet if they want but she wrote this whole book called The Country Under My Skin which is essentially about her giving up her life as a mother and wife to become a revolutionary. It's really interesting, Ooh. really fascinating. Uh, write and, that down. Could you, could you give me her yeah, name? Yeah, the book is called uh, The Country Under My Skin. And I want to say the lady's name is Gioconda Belli. Gioconda Belli. It's a great book. So if you're always looking for a nonfiction book, I always promote that one to people. It's great. It's a great yeah. book. Uh, and okay. one more question. I've kept you longer than I told you I would, so I apologize about that. Uh, Valerie, before we let you go, give me one more thing besides ballet, besides Pilates, besides giving back to the community. Give me one more thing that you are passionate about. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to be a serious thing. It could be something fun you like, something fun you're passionate about. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, lately my head has been. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I guess go there, but you know it's it's been an eye-opening year mm -hmm. in a yeah. lot of ways, and um, I think for myself and like a lot of other people, um, it, it has forced me to like confront some things that need confronting. Um, and I have always considered myself to be a pretty decent person, but I think it goes a little deeper than that. And um, so I would say that, you know, recently I am, I don't know if passionate is the word, but it could be, um, but definitely interested in learning, learning more, learning more about people whose lives maybe look different than mine and understanding more about different struggles that um, different people have, because I think that you know, I, I've talked about it a lot on this pod before, and I won't, uh, I won't beleaguer the point to our listeners, but, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where I didn't realize how lucky I was as a young man to go to a place like Proctor High School, um, because when I went to Brooklyn afterwards to go finish my college, it didn't feel like a huge change. Everyone around me in Proctor was uh, was black or Muslim or Asian or different backgrounds. And it really never became like a discussion. A matter of fact, it's one of the things I loved about teaching in the Utica school system when I was there, you know, was watching these kids from all these different backgrounds just connect on the fact that they're teenagers, right? They look at each other and they totally look different and they have totally different lives. But all they care about is like teenage stuff. And those are the weird things that I look at. And I'm like, man, it's these kids don't even realize sometimes that like right around their corner, things might not be this chill for them. And it wasn't until I went to New York and I brought friends from upstate to visit me and I saw how they reacted to the neighborhood that I lived in. I was like, oh, you guys have never been anywhere where it's not like all white dudes. And that was a weird thing for some of them, I think, at least initially. Mm. And I think, I don't think you need to feel bad about any of that. I think you need to, I just aware that I tell us to everyone, you never stop learning stuff. You can, you never stop, even when you're out of school, even when you're done, even when you're older and getting retired, you can always learn a new perspective, a new angle. You can read more, you can 
I think having empathy is something that people need to work on in general. Just the idea of being able to understand the situations that people find themselves in and how they differ from you and what that actually does to you in their lives and how it affects. Them. I don't know. It's it's a it's a broad conversation. I don't mean to get so heavy here at the end, but I I think you're right. I think a lot of people are going through this conversation in their head. This you know where do I stand on the world that I see out there? And I don't think that's an uncommon thought at all. So I'm, I'm really, that's really sweet that you brought this concept up for people. Well, and I'm, uh, you know, feeling badly that it's taken a year like this to sort of kind of it's the reality. hit me, hit me in the face and say like, Hey, look around, you know? I mean, that's the thing though, right? It's not, a, it's not a sunk fit. Anything that opens up people's eyes, it doesn't have to be, you know what I mean? Like, you know, whether it happens when you're 17, 20, 25, 45, 65, all it takes is one moment. And for a lot of people, I think this pandemic was the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Valerie, I really want to thank you. Uh, it was great talking to you today. It was a pleasure to have you on the pod. We are, we're very pleased that we were uh, able to uh, get all these nominations and get you guys to be, uh, be a neighbor fund to help you guys out during this troubling time. Uh, again, folks can go to bodywisepurepilates.com and I will link everything uh, Valerie, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. you, Sam. The pleasure is completely mine, as is the gratitude. I, I really, wow. really appreciate <laughs> your time and interest. And this hey. whole this whole thing has been really amazing. <laughs> you know, honestly, uh, one of the, the reasons we started the show in the first place was to highlight people in this community doing cool stuff. And we're always happy to have people doing cool stuff in the community. Uh, Valerie, thank you so much. We do appreciate you. Thank you, Sam. to have her on the show. We look forward to uh, seeing what goes on with Bodywise Pilates. And now I know what Pilates is. See? See, now I know. something new every day. My brain works better. Uh, all right, let's get into history lessons. Again, kind of under the gun this week, so I'm going to have to move through them pretty quickly. Aww. I know, what a shame. On this day, March 29th, 19, I'm sorry, 1865, Union troops under General Ulysses S. Grant moved against the Confederate trenches around Petersburg, Virginia. General Robert E. Lee outnumbered. Uh, uh, General Robert E. Lee's outnumbered rebels were soon forced to evacuate the city and begin a desperate race back west. Uh, Eleven months earlier, Grant had moved his army across the Rapidon River in northern Virginia and began the bloodiest campaign of the Civil War. For six weeks, Lee and Grant fought alongside an arc that swung east of the Confederate capital of Richmond. They engaged in some of the conflict's bloodiest battles at Wilderness, Spotsylvania, and Cold Harbor before setting, settling into trenches for a siege of Petersburg, 25 miles south of Richmond. Trenches eventually stretched all the way to Richmond, and during the ensuing months, the armies glowered at each other across no man's land. Uh, periodically, Grant launched attacks against sections of the defense, but Lee's men managed to fend him off. Time was running out for Lee, though, and his army was dwindling to about the size of 55,000 uh, people, while Grant's continued to grow. Now, at this point, about 125,000. Uh, on March 25th, 
General Lee attempted to split the Union line when he attacked Fort Steedham, a stronghold along the Yankee trenches. His army was beaten back, he lost 5,000 men, and on March 29th, Ulysses S. Grant seized the initiative, sending 12,000 men past the left flank and threatening to cut Lee's escape from Petersburg. Fighting broke out there several miles. Lee could not arrest the Federal advance. On April 1st, uh, the Yankees struck at Five Forks, uh, soundly defeating the rebels and leaving Lee no alternative. He pulled his forces from the trenches and raced west. Uh, he surrendered his army on Appom uh, at Appomattox Courthouse on April 9th, 1865. Gotta be a tough moment when you know the war's over, mm. right? Like, when you know that it's done, right? You feel like, like you know, like, I'm glad we won. But certainly, like, generally, at some point in time, had to have a moment where he's like, nah, this is it. We, It's all, you gotta, like, suck it up, I suppose, right? Mm -hmm. Probably tough. Yeah. Probably tough. Uh, all right, on this day, 1933. Uh, in honor, uh, in 1889... To honor the, cent uh, the centenary of the French Revolution, the French government planned an industrial exposition and announced a design competition for a monument to be built on the Champ de Mars in central Paris. Out of more than 100 designs that were submitted, the committee chose the plan for an open lattice wrought iron tower that would reach almost 1,000 feet above Paris. Gustav Eiffel, the notable bridge builder, was the master of metal construction and also designed the framework for the Statue of Liberty. Uh, Eiffel's tower was greeted with skepticism from uh, critics who argued that it was structurally unsound and indignation from others who thought it would be an eyesore in the heart of Paris, which is kind of wild because it's probably the most beautiful, like, building. I guess really, it's like, I can't think of something. Uh, unperturbed, Eiffel complain, uh, completed his great tower under budget and in just two years. Only one worker lost his life during construction, which at the time was a remarkably low casualty number for a project of that magnitude. Eiffel Tower is 984 feet tall and consists of an iron framework supported by four masonry piers from which rise four columns that unite to form a single vertical tower. Uh, platforms, each with an observation deck, are at three levels. Elevators ascend the pier on a curve, and the Eiffel uh, contracted the Elevator Company of New York to design the tower's famous glass cage elevators. Mm. Uh, it remained the world's tallest man-made structure until the completion of the Chrysler Building in 1930, which is another building I think doesn't get enough credit. A yeah. great-looking building. Overlooked building. Overlooked building. Uh, incredibly, the Eiffel Tower was almost demolished when the International Exposition 20-Year Land Lease expired in 1909. Could you imagine? I know, right? Weird. But the value for it... But its value as an antenna for radio transmission is the thing that saved it. They were going to get rid of it, but like, you know what? It's actually a really good radio tower, so let's just leave it the way it is. It does remain largely unchanged today and is one of the world's premier tourist attractions. Um... I found this, there's a famous uh, story about the guy who invented the first parachute, or he tried to invent the first parachute, mm. and I, I can't think of his name. There's, you can go to British Pathé, it's one of the most popular videos on there, but essentially this guy went to the lower tier of the Eiffel Tower mm. with this suit that he built. Like out of, It looked like it was built out of garbage bags and sticks, right? He was essentially trying to build the first parachute, and you could tell, the video exists, it's on there. You could tell that he doesn't really want to jump off this this landing. Yeah. You could tell he's like, I don't know if this is going to work. Turns out it did not. My man fell and died. Mm. However, further analysis shows that if he had chosen a higher level, he probably would have survived. The issue was that he didn't get high enough for the air to get caught up in the, the parachute, essentially. Oh, okay. So if sense. he had chosen a smaller... If he would chosen a higher jump... 
he would have survived. That's weird, right? Yeah. Uh, pretty wild video. I showed it to my kids once and they thought it was hilarious. Oh, I bet. <laughs> uh, on this day, 1951, a handmade device exploded at Grand Central Station in New York City, starting uh, startling commuters but injuring no one. In the next few months, five more bombs were found at landmark sites around New York, including public library. Authorities realized that this new wave of terrorist acts was the work of a mad bomber. Mm. Uh, New York City's first experience with the so-called NYC mad bomber was on November 16, 1940, when a pipe bomb was left in the Edison building with a note that read, Con Edison Crooks, this is for you. Uh, more bombs were recovered in 1941, each more powerful than the last, until the mad bomber sent a note in December stating, quote, I will make no more bomb units for the duration of the war. He went on to say that Con Edison, New York's electric utility company, would be brought to justice in due time. Mm. Uh, the patriotic mad bomber made good on his promise, although he did periodically send threatening notes to the press. After his flurry of activity in 1951, the mad bomber was silent until a bomb went off at Radio City Music Hall in 1954. 1955, the mad bomber hit Grand Central Station, Macy's, the RCA building, and the Staten Island Ferry. Police initially had no luck finding the Mad Bomber, but an investigative team working for Con Edison finally tracked him down. Mm -mm, that's what happens. Looking through their employment records, they found that George Peter Metesky had been a disgruntled ex-employee since an accident in 1931. Uh, Metesky was enraged that Con Ed had refused to pay disability benefits and resorted to terrorism as his revenge. Uh, Metesky, a rather mild-mannered man, was found living with his sisters in Connecticut. He was sent to a mental institution in April 1957, where he stayed until his release in 1973. He would pass away in 1994. Man, my dude hated Con Ed. I know people hate Con Ed, but dear lord. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> you really can't be doing it. can't be doing it, my dude. Uh, all right, on this day... Oh, boy, this is a long one. All right, on this day, 1974, uh, after two decades of indirect military aid... Well, let me start again. In 1961, oh, okay, Jesus. I know. after two years of direct military aid, U.S. President John F. Kennedy sent the very first large force of U.S. military personnel into Vietnam to bolster the uh, inefficient autocratic regime of South Vietnam against the Communist North. Three years later, with the South Vietnamese uh, government crumbling, President LBJ ordered limited bombing raids on North Vietnam and Congress authorized the use of U.S. troops. By 1965, uh, the North Vietnamese offensive left LBJ with two choices. He could either escalate the U.S. involvement or withdraw. Johnson ordered, uh, ordered the former, and troops uh, troop levels soon jumped to more than 300,000, the largest bombing campaign in U.S. history. In the spring of 1969, protests against the war escalated in the U.S. Uh, U.S. troop strength in the war-torn country reached its peak at nearly 550,000 men. Uh, Richard Nixon, the new US, new U.S. president, began U.S. troop withdrawals and the Vietnamization of the war effort that year, but he also intensified the number of bombings that were happening. This expansion of war, which uh, accomplished very few positive results, led to a new wave of protests in the U.S. and elsewhere. Finally, in, 19, in January 1973, representatives from the United States, North and South Korea, and the Viet Cong signed a peace agreement in Paris, ending direct U.S. military involvement in the Vietnam War. It included a ceasefire throughout Vietnam, the withdrawal of U.S. forces, the release of POWs, and the peaceful reunification of North and South Vietnam. In reality, the agreement was little more than a face-saving gesture for the U.S. government. Uh, by April of uh, 1975, the very last American troops still in South Vietnam were airlifted out of the country as Saigon fell to communist forces. North Vietnamese Colonel Bo Tin accepted the surrender of South Vietnam later in the day, remarking, you have nothing to fear. Between Vietnamese, there are no victors and no vanquished. 
Only the Americans have been defeated. Cold-blooded. Mm. Uh, the Vietnamese War was the longest, most unpopular foreign war in U.S. history and cost 58,000 American lives. It also cost the lives of 2 million Vietnamese soldiers and civilians. I feel like when you're a kid, this is like the first... I mean, really simplify this, but Vietnam is like the first bad war, quote-unquote. I feel like a lot of the other wars felt justified when you were a kid, right? Revolutionary War, we're fighting to get away from the British. Uh, you know, the Civil War, we're fighting to end slavery. World War II, you're fighting to end the Nazis. Vietnam was like one of the first ones you come to and you're like, uh, what? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, it, that was the first like hard-to-understand war I remember when I was coming through as a kid, learning about history. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I don't like to use the word good war, quote-unquote. I mean, it's not, yeah, know, there is I, no such thing as a good war, but... Yeah. I, well, I think also, you know, you can say when you're a kid, but I think sometimes it's important to, to point out when I was a kid, or you was a kid yeah, in this situation, because this war was still fresher in the mind. Mm -hmm. To assume that a kid today learns about Vietnam or sees it through the same lens that we did we as did. we That's were kids, point. I think is wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because we were growing up, like, you know, I knew... Kids who were like you know damn close to having like Vietnam vets is like parents, parents yeah. you know what I mean that kind yeah, of stuff. True. So it's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean this is I think this was one of the first times that it was a little bit tougher to sell a story to the American people because the American people could see for their own eyes like mm -hmm. wait a minute this is not this is not justice this is not protecting us we're not you know just There's like no we talk just like we talk about a lot of you know a lot of the wars that we're still in today like we're not this isn't protecting yeah. us you know what i mean this yeah. isn't there's no we're not saving democracy this isn't anything like that yeah. you know what i mean we're not we're not protecting ourselves this isn't honorable you know what i mean that's always when people talk about vietnam like that's the first thing you learn like mm -hmm. in history we're like you know this is different because this is the first war to take place on tv mm -hmm. you know what i mean this is a lot of the reason why when the iraqi wars were coming through and different stuff like that there were certain rules about what they would show on tv because of how powerful the images coming back from Vietnam were, and they didn't want to stoke the public the same way they did back in the 60s. Which is hilarious, because I think the Gulf War imagery was super powerful, too, because that was like, America was like flexing. They're like, look at look at what we can do. That's yeah, what no, the Gulf War felt like. They were like, check it out. Well, no, that's because they were putting out hype reels and mixtapes, yeah. yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to allowing independent fourth estate yeah. journalists... Yeah. To, you know, put the put the stuff out there. Like hype reels and mixtapes. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, on this day, 1981, uh, President Ronald Reagan was shot in the chest outside a Washington, D.C. hotel by deranged drifter John Hinckley Jr. Mm. Uh, President had just finished addressing a labor meeting at the Washington Hilton when Hinckley, standing among a group of reporters, fired six shots at the president, hitting Reagan and three of his attendants. White House Press Secretary John uh, James Brady, Secret Service Agent Tim McCarthy, and D.C. Policeman Tom Delaney. Uh, Hinckley was overpowered, and President Reagan, apparently unaware that he'd been shot, was shoved into his limousine by a Secret Service agent and rushed to the hospital. Uh, shot in the left lung with a 22 caliber bullet, just missing his heart. It was an impressive feat that he survived with a collapsed lung. Uh, once he got to George Washington University Hospital, uh, he was treated and prepared for surgery. He was in good spirits, quipped to his wife, Honey, I forgot to duck. Hilarious. Uh, after being arrested on March 30th, Hinckley was booked on federal charges of attempting to assassinate the president. In June of 1982, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, in the trial, Hinckley's defense attorneys argued that their client was ill with narcissistic personality disorder, citing medical evidence, and had a pathological obsession with the 1976 film Taxi Driver, in which mm. the main character attempted to assassinate a fictional senator. 
Lawyers claim that Hinckley saw the movie more than a dozen times. He obsessed with the lead actress, Jodie Foster, and he attempted to reenact the events of the film in his own life. Thus, the movie, not Hinckley, they argued, was the actual planning force behind the events. So they blamed the movie as the, as the assassination attempt. Mm. That's, some, that's some lawyering right there, I'll tell you what. Uh, the verdict was, quote, not guilty by reason of ins insanity, which aroused widespread public criticism. Many were shocked that there would be a presidential assassin who could have been avoiding this accountability. Uh, however, because he was an obvious threat to society, he was placed in St. Elizabeth's Hospital, a men mental institution. In the late 1990s, his attorneys began arguing that his mental illness was in remission and it was thus fair for him to return to a normal life. Uh, he did, starting in 1999, uh, start having supervised day trips off hospital grounds and was allowed to leave to visit his parents once a week. Uh, as of 2018, he can now live within 75 million, uh, miles of Williamsburg, provided he can meet regularly with his psychiatrist and social worker, among other conditions. So, there you go. Technically, mm. he's out. I mean, I think people talk about, like, the presidential assassinations. But you can go, and I've talked about this with my kids in, like, the higher levels and stuff. There's a ton of, like failed presidential assassinations that really don't get any coverage. And I don't really, you know, I don't think you should cover failed presidential assassinations because why are you going to give these people, like, the, the publicity, right? Like, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It seems weird, right? Like, some guy tried to kill the president, we arrested him. I don't, I don't know what the, the angle is on that. You know what I mean? Like, as far, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know. It's like the same thing. Like, if someone does something terrible, do we want to, like, promote them for it? I don't know. It's like we talk about this all the time. It's like, should we give this person credit by talking about them in the news because they tried to kill? Like, should we give? Should like, are you talking about the news? Or are you talking about history? I don't. I don't understand what you're. What do you mean? Like, we should historically, yeah, we shouldn't ignore like failed attempts. You yeah, know what I mean, like a guy like John Hinckley, the fact this is a big deal. This happened in 1980. Yeah. Like, we should not talk about this in history. There were, like, multiple attempts on both Trump and Obama, and I feel like no one ever talks about that, though. Well, because they weren't attempts attempts. There were, they weren't, like, like successful. There, there were thwarted yeah. plans. People didn't fire a gun. Nobody got yeah. shot. That's you know true. what I mean? No, you shouldn't talk about every idiot that they catch out there talking crazy or bringing guns or doing stuff like that. Mm. But, like, you know, there's a difference between, like, a thwarted plan where they pick somebody up and, like, somebody out there firing a, yeah. a weapon. 1981, I guess you could still get close enough to the president with a gun to be hanging out with a report. I guess you still could today, I suppose, but probably see... No, you don't think so? No. I mean, when I was in New York, you couldn't get within, like, no, 200 feet of you Obama when he was there. You absolutely cannot. Yeah. Absolutely cannot. All right, we'll move on. Uh, let's get away from history lessons. I have a big food section for you today, Kev. All sorts of food news from all over the map. You ready for this? Yes. All right. Have you been following the Cinnamon Toast Crunch controversy? Certainly not. Uh... In case you've been ignoring the media for the last couple days, uh, Jensen Karp, who is a musician, producer, uh, personality, and most importantly, the husband of the actress who plays Topanga on Boy Meets World, so good for him, posted on Monday that inside his box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, there appeared to be shrimp tails. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, shrimp tails and other uh, unbreakfast-worthy detritus swimming around his package of cereal. Uh, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch people claim that, uh, this didn't happen at their factory, so it must have happened somewhere in between. Mm. What are your thoughts about the shrimp tails <laughs> in the Cinnamon Toast Crunch? And is that the reason I haven't opened up the Cinnamon Toast Crunch that's in our pantry yet? Uh, probably. You definitely, you weird about food anyway. Um, yeah, of course it happened. I mean, what? Yeah, of course it happened. What do you... 
Where do you think your food comes from, folks that are eating your food out of like boxes at the grocery store? Of course this happened. I mean, I feel like to a certain extent, like how would I'm trying to think of how it would happen, right? Like was someone eating shrimp at yeah. the old cinnamon toast crunch factory? Yeah, and having just lunch on the having line because they the don't line. get a lunch break because they don't unionize. <laughs> yeah, right. that's yes, true. that's exactly what happened. Uh, see, there it is. So somehow cinnamon toast crunch to blame for this. I mean, uh, not to blame. Stuff happens, right? It's only because the internet we find out about these things. You know what I mean? Like you, people have been finding stuff and food all the time. That's true. More food news. This is from France. A French monastery in the heart of Burgundy has launched an emergency online sale to get rid of thousands of its artisanal cheeses, which are languishing in its cellars as COVID-19 keeps buyers away. Uh, the Chateau Abbey, just south of Dijon, birthplace of the Caesarian Catholic Order, usually sells its raw milk, semi-soft discs, only to restaurants or visitors on its on-site shop. But a drop in demand since the coronavirus erupted last year has left the Abbey's 19 monks with 4,000 cheeses too many. A 2.8 ton sized problem. Oh my God, that's so much cheese. Go online, see if you can get some of this French cheese. I bet you it's delightful. Yeah, what a good deal. What a good <laughs> deal for the people. What a, de- what a strange, like, yeah, we've just been making this cheese, these 19 people, these monks, just sitting on this cheese for for however long. That's the life, you know what I mean? That's the life. We tried explaining to our 75 cows that they needed to produce less milk, but they didn't seem to understand, said Brother Jean-Claude. Hilarious. Jokester, this guy. Uh, Also this week, all right, here's one for you, Kev. This is going to be a good one. I'm really excited about this. Uh, Do you like Pepsi? I mean, yeah, it's all right. It's fine. Do you like Peeps? No. Well, Pepsi has announced its collaboration with Peeps on a limited edition marshmallow-flavored... Pepsi Cola, the Pepsi X Peeps drink, will be sold in three ounce packs of 7.5 ounce mini cans and are described as a delicious new beverage that combines the crisp, refreshing taste of Pepsi with the pillowy, soft, and sweet Peeps marshmallow flavor that consumers know and love. Why do people be into it? Peepsy? I'm not really a big fan of Peepsy. I don't. This I don't, doesn't I, sound good to me. No, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, this is gonna be like a limited run thing. They're probably do. And soda's already way too sweet for me. Like I, you know what I mean. Like already a Pepsi, a whole Pepsi sounds like a bit of an undertaking. Um, to yeah. just add more sugar to it, I. I find Pepsi to be already sweeter than a Coca Cola, which I think people will tell me I'm crazy for. Because mm. I think it's one of those things. If you like Pepsi over Coke, or you like Coke over Pepsi, you tend to feel that way about the other one for whatever mm. reason. Uh, I've never really liked Pepsi. I mm. just find it to be kind of, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't call it like a step below. But it feels like it's a step below. Am I wrong? I, I, I don't, you don't like either. So it's all either, personal yeah. preference. I mean, you're a you're a, a diehard. Long, I know. Long, long time diehard Coca-Cola advocate. Uh, all right, and then one more uh, one more food. This is an alcohol update. Uh, for many here in the Roman Central New York era, White Claw is one of their favorite beverages. Kev, they're now releasing a new White Claw called White Claw Surge, which has eight point zero. ABV. It's about mm. to be a wild summer. I knew it was coming. <laughs> it's about to be. I've been a... saying about these seltzers. Somebody's gonna. It's just a matter of time till somebody gets like a reckless level ABV. Reckless. Yo, eight point on something that doesn't really taste like it has alcohol in it in the first place. Yeah. It's gonna be a problem. Yes. Big problem. Certainly, certainly. Oh is. my goodness. Uh, some other new white claw flavors people will like. I'll, I'll hit you. Give me just give me a yay or nay on any of these. White Claw Hard Seltzer Iced Tea Lemonade. Uh, sure. White Claw Hard Seltzer Iced Tea Raspberry. No. 
Mm-hmm. Never raspberry for me. White Claw hard seltzer iced tea mango. Uh, I feel like mango's tough to reproduce. I'd probably skip it. And then White Claw hard seltzer iced tea pun- uh, peach. Oh yeah. Here, so here for peach and lemon. Miss me with raspberry and mango. Mango, I'd take if like it's what's left. Uh, I was gonna do this A through Z Utica restaurants list that I found online. We were gonna laugh about it, but it's a little too long. We'll save it for next week, I think. Okay. Because uh, we have some other stuff I'd like to get to, and I'm running low on time here. Uh, Kev, you want a quick news day report here for you? Sure. Uh, have you? Hit me. <laughs> uh, have you been following the story about researchers who are using satellite observation to identify what they're calling a quote unquote space hurricane in Earth's upper atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, The results published last month represent the first time a space hurricane has ever been detected over our planet. Uh, The team spotted the churning mass of charged particles, ionized gas called plasma, hovering several hundred miles above the North Pole during a retrospective analysis of data collected in 2014. Uh, I don't even know... This doesn't really mean anything, right? It doesn't do anything to us, I don't think. No. It just no. sounds kind of impressive, yeah, right? Yeah, this is just getting the headline cranking and putting some terminology on some it. Terminology. This isn't like... No. Look forward to the new Sci-Fi Channel movie, Space Hurricane, coming out next month. Coming out any minute. Any minute. Uh, some sad farewells here this week. Uh, two of them, uh, important ones for both me and my sisters. Mm. Uh, number one, earlier this week, at the remarkable age of 104, famed author Beverly Cleary passed I away on Thursday. Uh, now, Beverly Cleary, not necessarily my piece, per se, wasn't... I didn't. I loved Beverly Cleary when I was a kid. I know my sisters read all of them. I know we had them. I'm sure I read some of the Ramona books, because those are the ones I, I read remember. A lot of Ramona. I read a lot of Henry. Um, I read a couple others, too. Yeah, Ramona, Ramona the Brave, Beezus and Ramona, Ramona yeah. the Pest. Sure. Uh, some of his other, her other works included Ellen Tebbets, Otis Spotford, Lucky Chuck, The Mouse and the Motorcycle, and she had two memoirs. Uh, her books have sold more than 85 million copies worldwide, said HarperCollins earlier this week. Uh, this is a quote from uh, HarperCollins president, Suzanne Murphy. Her timeless books are an affirmation of her everlasting connection to the pleasures, challenges, and triumphs that are part of every childhood. You know, I was thinking about it today when I had to go to the library in mm-hmm. the elementary school and uh, make some copies. Because mm-hmm. I was looking at, like, some of the... There were, like, a lot of, like, books I read as a kid that mm-hmm. I loved. Like, book series I loved that weren't, like, just Goosebumps... Do you remember the My Teacher Was an Alien series? Oh, yeah. That, I wouldn't sit here and talk call those, like, amazing books, but I certainly read all of them, and it certainly made me excited to read as a kid. So I think there's something to, like, accessible books. Raul Dahl, super important yeah, for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, those books, like, and I think this is sort of in that same vein. Something that speaks to children and teenagers in a way that makes them feel like part of the story. It's super important. Yeah. Because um, I went chasing Stephen King after that, looking for adult books. But up until that point, I was like, I didn't know they made books that were, like, for people like me. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't know. I, I think that, like, stuff like this is super important, especially for getting kids into reading at an early age. Because it gives them, like, oh, reading can be about things I can, like, comprehend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a super important step in any reader's journey. If somebody's taking, like, a lifetime journey of being a reader. Hmm. Yeah, you can't you certainly can't just jump to crime and punishment when you're seven. Yeah, but I think that I probably wouldn't have jumped to Stephen King so early if I didn't like to read early enough. I mean, like because I like to read, I think I was more willing to like jump to adult books. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. keep moving up the ladder. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah because yeah. you pass the 100 level class, you're more likely yeah. to take the 200 level class. Uh, also passed away this week, uh, Jessica Walter, at the age of 80. Uh, 
most people from our age group will probably know her from Arrested Development or Archer. Mm -hmm. uh, but she goes, she has an amazing television career going back over 70 years. Shows including Flipper, Columbo, Hawaii Five-0, uh, Quincy, Knott's Landing, Magnum P.I., Law & Order, just to name a few of them. Uh, I've been watching Arrested Development in hindsight since she passed away. Really, really the, one of the best. Yeah. She's so good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I do think that like the Arrested Development role might be my like favorite version of her in anything. I, I, I don't see how it couldn't be. Yeah, she's so good. She's so perfect mm -hmm. for that role. Uh, there's a really good article on The Guardian about her today, talking about her career. So if you're curious about that, uh, we will. I'll leave that to you to read. Uh, Kevin, I'm just gonna do one last one with you before we leave, okay? okay. I'm gonna give you the setup, and you're gonna help me out here, okay? Mm -hmm. The setup is from Dateline. Is music star Meatloaf? Meatloaf or Meatloaf? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meatloaf is starting a Netflix relationship competition show. Hilarious. That's all I'm gonna tell you. Meatloaf reality dating competition show. What is the name of this game show? I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. That is correct. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. So what is this a competition where people are trying to date Meatloaf? It's where couples compete in a variety of comedic physical games that test how much they actually trust each other. That's much less gross. I would do anything for I love. I thought it was going to be a bunch of women Ex trying to marry Meatloaf for his bad out of hell. That'd be money. worse. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be much worse. worse. I did not put any Meatloaf songs uh, or Jim Steinman songs on the mix this week. Just oh, no way. No, I didn't. What a shame. Uh, I mean, this is just this is just easy marketing, right? <laughs> just easy marketing. Uh, all right, speaking of... Uh, well, let's go to the mailbag question first. Kev, I got two mailbag questions. You want one or two? Two. Okay, number two. Kevin, what is your most rewatched movie or most reread book mm. that you can think of? Man. Um, you know, I would be interested if you could, like, somewhere look up the actual Love stats for that. Love to know. Because I bet that I would surprise myself in something because right i'm trying mm -hmm. to think of something that came out mm -hmm. like long enough ago that i've watched it enough times something that i've gone through and it's just been on like one million times um as a kid i read lion the witch in the wardrobe like 15 times sure i don't know if that means that it's at the top mm -hmm. of my list today but i probably read that a billion times because it was an easy read and you could knock it out in like three hours mm. i read to kill a mockingbird a lot kill a mockingbird a lot yeah yeah, yeah. um movie i don't know I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of. Movies. The answer for me is probably Jaws. Probably that's probably the movie I've watched the most. Jaws, Jaws would be a good pick for just about any movie. The amount that it was on TV, Jaws. Would be a good uh, one. Shawshank Redemption, probably. Mm -hmm. I think probably not. But in the last few years, I watched John Carpenter's A Thing like all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, I can't imagine that that caught up with like. I saw Jurassic Park like forty times when I was a kid. Jurassic so I, I Park can't would imagine. Be another good one, yeah. You know, it's probably Jurassic Park or Jaws. It, it, just by sheer accident. Do you know what I mean? Like, and not, not that those aren't two of my favorite movies, but that's probably the answer. Book? Boy. I mean, recently it's been that Amongst the Thug book. I think I've read that three times in the last five years. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I keep picking it up and putting it down. I don't know if that counts. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, as a kid, it was probably Matilda or like George's Marvelous Medicine or one of those Raul Dahl books. I've read those consistently mm. all the time as a kid there was probably a fear street book for fear me. street book yeah, yeah i was really yeah. really into fear street books there's a book called the shadow club that was like a random uh, like young adult book that i liked a lot um i don't know i do get i do get value out of rereading books though so i am a book rereader um what stephen king book do you think you've read the most 
probably probably my knee jerk is to say it yep uh but discounting all the short stories obviously because those yeah, are easier to revisit count. i wouldn't be surprised to find out maybe pet cemetery i was actually just gonna say pet cemetery or maybe... pet cemetery is like short pet cemetery is only 400 or so pages so it's a pretty cujo. pretty big burner cujo is also like 300 pages i like not through cujo. i like cujo but i definitely haven't revisited cujo like that well you know what's interesting about Cujo's a tier below pet cemetery in it for me well here's the thing about cujo here's your stephen king bit for the week by the way uh I think that the interesting part about Cujo when rereading it now mm. is not the dog. It's the relationship between the husband and the wife and the guy she's cheating on him with. Oh, yeah. That's the most, like, scary, unsettling part to me. Like, the dog is yeah, obviously yeah. scary, but that part is really emotional. Because you can tell that King in this period was, like, heavy in, like, some dark mm-hmm. dark times. And this book is very dark. That's one of the only yeah. books I ever read where it opens from page one and it doesn't stop. There's no chapters. No. There's no break. No. There's no... Bars in between, no prologues, no part two, no, it's just page one starts, book goes. Stunned no one's remade this movie. It's coming. Stunned. It's coming. Stunned, stunned, stunned. It's coming. What was the, didn't they make a movie about a killer dog when we were kids, though? It was like Man's Best Friend, you remember that movie? It was Cujo. No, 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 but there was like, I think there was a 90s version where it was like a robot dog? Mm, Maybe. Man's, I'm gonna look this up afterwards. Man's Best Friend. If people are familiar with the movie Man's Best Friend, I want to say it's from like the late 90s. Uh, I want to say Lance Hendrickson is in it. I don't, I don't know who it is. Lance Hendrickson is the... Oh, you know who he is. He's in a million things. He's in Pumpkinhead. He's in... Uh, oh, God. Why I can't I think of like a popular thing he's in? He's in so many things. Yeah, I can't believe I don't have a Pumpkinhead recall. <laughs> he's Bishop in Aliens. He's the android in Aliens. Maybe. I'm going to show you a picture after Judy. Bill Paxton? I know that guy. I know Bill Paxton. Uh, let's go to uh, Spotify picks for the week. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I have two here for you that I'm going to highlight. Uh, first one is Get Out Remix by Sublime. We watched that video this week of bands that uh, continued on after their lead singers passed away or left the band for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Kind of wild that like this was the first band that I ever really recognized. My sister had this album as a kid, so I remember hearing Sublime records. You loved Sublime. Love Sublime. Super first important. Friends yeah. of you when we were like 15, 16, you were yeah. ready to Sublime. I wanted to get a Sublime tattoo when I was a kid. I'm glad I didn't yeah, do it. Yeah, you did. I wanted to get the Sun logo. Uh, my cousin has it, so good for her. Um, but yeah, this is... Uh, I, I don't care for the new Sublime lineup. So for me, Sublime really exists as like three albums. Mm. Uh, the self-titled, uh, the one with the sun on it, and then Secondhand Smoke, which is like the remix album of stuff. I saw Sublime with Rome because they came to the brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, super worth the show. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, like, I don't think I paid to go to the show. I'm just hanging out. It was right in town. But it was cool. They do they do a really, they do an honorable job. Yeah. I mean, that guy's been doing it for a long time. For so sure. So he, he obviously cares a lot about, like, for sure, Sublime. For sure. And then number two, uh, Night Fever. By the Bee Gees. We were ta- I don't know if we were talking about this on or off the air a few weeks ago, but did you know the Bee Gees... There are only two we musicians were, we that have, like, more that. hits than the Bee Gees. Wild. Yeah. I was talking to my stepdad about this. I was trying to ask him a little information this week about the Bee Gees. And he just hit me with that straight up, well, yeah, of course they were hits. It was all disco songs. And I was like, oh, I see. You were, like, one of those anti-disco people. You don't like to dance. And that's really the problem with these anti-disco people. Hmm. They don't like to dance. No, they really don't. They don't want to dance. You can't just surrender to the groove. Surrender to the groove with the Bee Gees and Night Fever. And those are my two. Kev, do you have any tracks you'd like to highlight this week? Yeah, so I'll give you two. Uh, talking about surrendering to the dance. So I had been going back um, a while back, probably like a year or more ago. Uh, I'd watched like two seasons of the show Snowfall. Hey, all right. 
And so I went back and I've been watching season three, oh, which is amazing. Season three step, like it was a huge step up in the show, really crystallized. I highly recommend it. But because it's set in like the 80s on the West Coast in Los Angeles, there's tons of amazing like funk and like that weird brew right before hip hop kind of music. So I've been hearing tons of cool tracks. So one that I'm going to highlight this week by a group called the DIT Band. And mm-hmm. the song is called You Bring Out the Best in Me. Oh, yeah. And it's super funky with like a live band, like horns and all sorts of stuff. And these guys can play. And it's like awesome. Like right before music like this, like that bridge in between disco of the 70s and hip hop of the 90s. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a cool track that I've listened to a lot. And also, uh, I guess in honor of our guest this week, one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, Valerie by Amy Winehouse. Hey. Amy Winehouse's take on the song by, I think, originally like the Zootons or whoever from Britain. Yeah. song Valerie. Um, one of the most broad appeal songs I can think of. Anybody, any kind of person, you could play this anywhere. Almost anybody can like it. Upbeat would be a super fun type of band to be in with a horn section. Uh, love that song. So I just now realized I hadn't unlocked the thing for you, so you're free to put music on there. Now. Oh, I feel, I feel bad me. that I didn't unlock it to you. Look when at I sent me. It to you I didn't earlier. notice because I knew I was going to do it. That doesn't matter. But That's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you know, I guess we didn't get into it with the movie TV uh, book thing. Was there a TV show you feel like you've rewatched the most? Because my answer is Sopranos. That's an easy one. Um, that's a, I don't. No, I bet that's not it. Think like of, so? No, think about some of the stuff. Was like, the Office? It was on like reruns for years. Maybe like Seinfeld, Office would be up there. Stuff that used to be on every day, all day when we were kids. Simpsons. Something about committing to watching the full six seasons of Sopranos multiple times makes me feel like it's the thing I've watched the most. Like it's I also, probably well, said... It's also the recency bias. I mean, it's been a while. How many days? Yeah, well, like a year or two. But I'm saying when you were a kid and Simpsons were on reruns... How many weeks did you watch Simpsons every day, five days a week? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Or it's probably Simpsons. You're right. I think because I think about for me, it's probably a show like maybe like Friends that used to be on all the time, or Seinfeld is another good one. Anything that's played a ton in reruns. Yeah, Simpsons is probably the answer. Office is high up there now too, though, because Office is an easy one to just go back and crank through. Maybe it's because Sopranos episodes are 45 minutes long, and it feels like a big commitment. It's like, a, it's like a different class. It feels like a different, yeah, yeah. For that's fair. Uh, all right, that's that's it, folks. Uh, thank you once again to Valerie Lapata of Body Wise Pure Pilates for helping me to finally understand. Uh, also this week, I just want to shout out to Heather Waz. Hope she's doing fine. Hope to hear from her soon. Uh, you can go to nateutica.com, handshake.cityuticast.com for all current information about the Uticast crew and everything that's going on. Uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, all of the platforms. Uh, that's it. Sign our heroes. Keep it tight. Take machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. Woodstock lives, and we will see you next week for another episode of Beautycast. Be safe out there, folks. <laughs>